Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series. Hello, hello! Welcome to Codish! My name is Julian Duque. I'm a developer advocate here at Heroku, and today we are going to be talking about something that I'm really interested in. Today we have Nate Beck. He's the principal architect and founder of Pretzel Tech. Pretzel Tech is a company that has a product known as uh, Pretzel Rocks, which enables live streamers to use music that it's uh, licensed and they can use it like safely on the streams. This will add a lot of a nice uh, atmosphere to all of the different live streamers used used by live coders like me and other people that usually stream while gaming. So, Nate, how you doing? Hey, good to be here. I am doing well. Excellent. I hope I described well what you do, but since you know way more about Pretzel Tech and Pretzel Rocks, I will let you know, introduce yourself and tell me a little bit more about what you are doing. Sounds good. I'm Nate Beck. I am the principal architect and founder of Pretzel Tech, and we make music. Uh, music licensing is hard, and we make it a lot easier for content creators. That's kind of our our whole spiel, um, and it's really complex. I, um, I've been a software developer for over a decade, and... Uh, done all kinds of stuff from background development to front-end architecture. I'm actually, uh, I come from the Flash community way back in the day. So I was a wow. Flash front-end and Flash game developer many, many, many years ago. And so that that was kind of my first inkling in the career, uh, in my career as a software developer. <laughs> yeah, yep. And then uh, when that all came crashing down in 2011, I switched over to more back-end Ruby on Rails, uh, AWS, um, and Python, that kind of stuff. Yes, as you mentioned, uh, choosing the music for live streams is really, really hard. I used to have a Twitch channel where I do uh, live coding. At the beginning, I, I had an issue. I was using uh, like common artist music on my first episodes. Obviously, my audience loved the music I was speaking, but then after I finished my recordings, and I published my videos on YouTube, I started mm -hmm. getting certain complaints and my episodes started to get muted. So tell me more about the pretzel rocks and the problem you are solving and how are you solving? So music licensing is, is incredibly complex. And a uh, fun little story about me is uh, I was working at a gaming startup um, back in 2011 or so. And uh, when I was pulling like, you know, 10, 16 hour days, the new version of StarCraft came out, the new expansion. And I was like, I really want to go play that game, but I just don't have the time to do it. And that's when I really started to find live streamers and live streaming who were playing that content that I wanted to play. Um, so I'd have them up while I was working. That, that's when I fell in love with kind of this live stream content creator community. And so being a person who works in technology, I was like, I want to, I, I should be able to use my skills to help this community of people that I really like and enjoy spending time with to 
solve problems for them using technology and, and a lot of things that I do. And so I kind of sought out, okay, what are the things that I can do? There's chat bots, there's all kinds of things, but man, what is something that no one's really approaching or trying to, to crack yet? And then music was the, the answer to that. And that was around five years ago that I really started to do that. And I learned more and more about music every single day. It is one of the hardest things to license appropriately uh, to use in all this stuff. And so uh, lots of phone calls with attorneys, lots of phone calls. I think we've used, we've worked with over seven or eight different attorneys because even in music or any type of entertainment law, there's like different specialties that they all work yeah. in. So we have specialties that work in the publishing of music. And then we have specialists that work in the masters and the record label side of the house. And so, um, yeah, so the idea is exactly as you described that a standard broadcaster or a content creator isn't going to have the time nor want to go do all of this legwork to get these artists to be on board and even explain what Twitch is or what live streaming is. And so we do that work and then pass that on to the broadcasters. So that, that's essentially the product of Pretzel in a nutshell. One of the other business units inside of Pretzel is uh, a record label called 99 Lives. And 99 Lives is... The rec that record label owns all of the rights for the music. So they have the ability to license it however they see fit. And 99 Lives works directly with the artists who are making the music to sign that music. The problem with that is even though 99 Lives has 650 um, tracks in its catalog, a broadcaster is going to go through that entire thing. A broadcaster is going to consume, you know, eight hours of music a day. Yeah. on their broadcast um, because their use case is so different. So if you're live coding on a stream or playing a video game on a stream with music in the background and you're going for six or eight hours, you need so much music, like so much music, up to 40 or 50 hours a week of music content that you can include in your own content. So the needs for live stream are very different than the needs for like someone who's making a YouTube video, for example, who finds the right song that they want, puts it in Adobe Premiere, edits it together, and then pushes it up to YouTube. So they're only using like 10, you know, five, 10 minutes worth of music as opposed to 40 hours in a week. And so 99 Lives has a really good, is really good for that model, for the model of produced content. Whereas live streamers, they need even more and more music. So Pretzel has a catalog of already of over 10,000 tracks. And we're wow. getting ready to ramp that up to, you know, hundreds of thousands of tracks. Because what we're trying to do is find the musicians that are out there who want content creators to be able to use their music. And That's so just like you said, I played the music that I like to play, like from Spotify or any of those things. The grand vision of Pretzel is that those artists that you already like can see the benefit of allowing broadcasters to use their music. And so yeah, that that's the grand amazing. vision. We want to make it easily licensable to license the music that you want. And there's a big chasm that we have to get over of traditional music to like get to there. So we're, you know, it's baby steps as we're walking through. That that sounds beautiful. And I guess it has like a big database, different genres, and you can like filter and pick from, from that. Is that correct? Yeah, it's mostly EDM right now, but that's because EDM is much easier to license than other uh, music typically. So the reason for that is, uh, you know, EDM is typically a single producer working on their own computer because, you know, you can use your own Mac laptop now and make music in, a, in an afternoon as opposed to 
a rock band that has five members that are on the road, it's just harder to get them all to agree to license or to try this thing or to do any of that stuff. And so oh, okay. uh, we have a lot of EDM, but we are, we do have some really fantastic rock. Um, funny enough, we actually have rock and EDM pretty much uh, pretty well covered, but then we have people now asking for uh, classical and jazz and uh, country of all things that people are looking for to kind of have us expand into. And so we're working on that. Let's get into the more technical details about how are you solving this problem? I I bet that there are a lot of people using uh, Pretzel Tech, and not only the streamers, but also the people that are watching streams. They're like popular streamers that have thousands of people watching them. So yeah. how are the load and system demands of the Pretzel Tech platform? Yeah, you, you bring up a very, very valid point that when we're talking to... Um, investors or, or other folks like that, we have to differentiate the concept of um, broadcasters who is, you know, essentially pretzel has three sets of customers uh, or three types of customer. We have the broadcasters, we have the rights holders of the music, and then we also have the viewer of the broadcaster. So that's that extra kind of step. And so all of their needs are slightly different. And so when you talk about like the needs of the broadcaster, the person who, you know, what are we talking about doing? Well, we are, we have a music player that's kind of like a traditional music player that streams audio from our CDN and they can select their songs, select their playlist. Just like you said, um, you know, if I want a certain mood, I can select that station. I want the chill station or the ambient station because I'm going to be coding. And then uh, Pretzel actually has a filter that will filter out vocals. So if you're Perfection. like, I want to be hype, but I don't want vocalists singing. I don't want to be talking over someone singing. You can actually turn off vocals from a filter in the system. So that's where Pretzel kind of focuses on how, you know, nice features specifically for broadcasters. Um, so the nice thing about providing just that streaming system to a broadcaster is that's your traditional kind of streaming service. That's That's been proven, right? Streaming services have come out in the last, you know, decade have really kind of run rampant. So the technology to stream music to a user for a music player, that's all pretty standard. Um, and so you, your load is pretty, pretty linear. You know, you've got a certain amount of concurrent people streaming and then, you know, you have your peaks and valleys of the day and stuff, and it's pretty predictable traffic. Um, it's not that bad where, um, we really run into some really interesting technological challenges then are when we deal with that kind of other group, the viewers. So one broadcaster is one audio stream coming into them. And then that audio stream gets composited into their Twitch stream that's being, you know, then multiplied and brought, you know, fanned out essentially to all of the, all of these uh, viewers of that stream. So like you said, there might be a streamer who is currently streaming to 20,000 viewers. So that's one wow. audio stream from our service being composited into a video sent to Twitch and then fanned out from Twitch to 20,000. So the audio is still being heard by 20,000 people but we're only serving one audio stream. And so it's kind of nice that we can reduce our, our you know, load that we have to deal with to, to handle that. However, we have features in the application that allow the viewer, those 20,000 people to interact with our service. So a perfect example of this is, you know, what, what song is currently playing? 
where do I go get this? How do I go get, like, I like this song. Can I go get it on Spotify? Where can I go listen to it elsewhere? Um, which is one of the big reasons why artists license their music to us is because we can drive traffic to their other sources of revenue, like other DSPs that are playing their music. And so uh, that is one of the things that we provide, but it, it creates this really interesting traffic pattern that is really hard to predict. And so if you have a broadcaster that's live broadcasting to 20,000 people, and then, you know, he says something about the song, for example, oh, this song is really good. Those users might then interact with our Twitch extension, which, or go search through our catalog or do any of those things. And we might see a massive spike of data. The other thing that can happen as well is Twitch extensions, which are this, it's basically an iframe that's embedded inside of Twitch's own page. Mm -hmm. When a broadcaster goes live and those extensions all come online, or when they introduce, uh, they can edit those extensions on the fly. So a person might, a broadcaster who's broadcasting 20,000 people might be like, oh, I don't have my pretzel extension turned on. And they go into their editor in Twitch and add it. All of a sudden, all 20,000 of those users all at the same time load up this client that hits our backend all within, you know, the same hundred, hundred milliseconds. And so you go from zero traffic to, you know, 20,000 requests in the matter of, you know, one to 300 milliseconds that happens. That's what a spike. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of weird stuff that you run into. And so we've, we've hit some really interesting uh, challenges in, in trying to deal with that. So yeah, those sound like a very, very great challenges, especially when you're dealing with, with the whole audience, the people that are watching the streams. So obviously yeah. I guess scaling, I mean, I'm, I'm also a software developer and I work on uh, production environments and scaling is one of the, I would say one of the most difficult things difficult things when you are working with a production ready application. So how are you solving these issues? Uh, tell me a little bit more about, for example, your architecture or how are you dealing with this amount of traffic and the type of tools are you using? Now let's get way more technical. The backend is all written in Ruby on Rails. Um, and so we have a pretty standard uh, kind of Ruby on Rails deployment. We we use mostly API only mode, um, so we're not generating uh, most of our stuff because most of our clients, these you know front end music players and even the Twitch extension, those are just kind of your standard React based applications that are in the front end communicating with our back end. So we don't composite pages or anything in Rails. We're just using it for you know active model and the ability to have our ORM so we can talk to our data model and and uh, set a lot of that up. Um, so that all runs on our, our main API currently is running on Heroku and Rails and Postgres. Um, and then we actually have a significant amount of uh, Redis that we use for caching as well as some other uh, interesting things we have to solve. So for example, uh, we have a concept of what's called a play token. And so a play token mm-hmm. is the song that is playing. So this user playing this song, this time. Um, and we use this for tracking things like our, our revenue, right? So how do we pay out fair play? Like how do we track our plays and all those things? So we have these tokens that we generate. 
And uh, we generally generate those on a rate of three, three to six tokens per second is kind of our, during our, our peaks and valleys during the day. And so there's constantly new music, like there's new players that are listening to new music every second. Uh, but selecting the next song can be computationally expensive. So for example, um, when we generate a play token, we need to have information about that current user that we're generating for. So uh, we keep a history of what songs they've listened to, what filters they have in place. We talked about like an instrumental only filter. So we need to filter out things that don't, that are not instrumental. Um, and then also each individual user has the ability to blacklist tracks. So we need to make sure that those aren't being selected. And so we have kind of this thing that could touch many tables. And so what we end up doing is we very heavily use Redis in our song selection logic. Uh, and we kind of temporarily cache kind of the state of each person's account so that we can very, very quickly, using a lot of the built-in Redis um, operations, uh, very, very quickly kind of select the next song that we want to play. And so eventually we're going to fill that in with kind of a recommendation engine and pre-generate queues and a whole bunch of stuff that a lot of the traditional DSPs do, like streaming platforms like Spotify. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're not there yet. We're a small team. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of the some of the interesting uh, pieces that we do in terms of the Rails app that uh, runs currently on Heroku. Oh, nice. And then, so I, I guess yeah. you are using also or Heroku Redis, Heroku Postgres. And... Yep, yep. I, I do not like, I am not an ops person. So monitoring servers, pager duty type stuff, like, you know, I still I still get notified if our site goes down and whatnot, but knowing that a server, like that's just not something I want to spend my time dealing with. And so Heroku has been great for that uh, because I don't have to, you know, I don't have to worry. And I've been using Heroku for years and years and years. And so, you know, it just kind of runs. I do get notices when it's like, oh, your Redis needs to go down for maintenance and we'll deal with that. Or, hey, your Postgres went down. And I think to myself, when when I get those emails, it's like, oh, good. Heroku took care of it. I don't really need to worry <laughs> so much about that. So, that's so yeah, those are that's nice. That's one of the reasons I, you know, run here um, or run on Heroku. There's other places, though, that are other things that we do that. Um, are not really well suited for Heroku. So we use mm -hmm. Netlify for all of our front end stuff, which is, you know, a CDN that uh, also does a bunch of pre-build and pulls together a bunch of our React applications and serves serves those applications. So we use Netlify for a lot of that. Um, however, one of the big problems we run into, and this is not necessarily a Heroku thing as much as a Rails thing, is how do you deal with those big, massive spikes of traffic? You know, it, even even with Heroku auto scaling or any of those types of things, it's really, really difficult to scale rails. You know, if I was to just spin up 100 dinos, I'm going to then bottleneck my Postgres or yeah, that's I'm going to have, totally there's, true. you know, there's all kinds of things that you're going to run into. And there there is there are really, really good ways to scale rails, you know, with sharding and all kinds of other things you can do. But that's when you have a constant heavy load. That's when you're going to want to focus on, on doing that kind of stuff. When you have this like intermittent, really spiky traffic, that's not ideal. You know, why are you spending thousands of dollars a month on infrastructure that only sees its peak utilization, you know, once a week or something like that? It's just not, it's not worth it. So for that, we actually use uh, Amazon Web Services. 
And so we use uh, for all of our viewer, the viewer facing stuff, as opposed to the broadcaster facing stuff, interacting with the music service. Mm -hmm. Um, So our search, our song request service, our what's currently playing, that is all being stored in a API gateway, Lambda, DynamoDB system that's all running out on AWS so that we can actually slam that thing with like a sledgehammer um, when needs be. And so it kind of caches that extra data over on this kind of, it's almost like a infrastructure caching layer that we use to, to deal with those, uh, yeah. with those users that is separate from kind of the main Heroku API stack that we yeah. use. Getting benefit from the whole elastic platform that. Exactly. The Lambda exactly. And just, yeah. you know, and we have, we have hit the, uh, like Lambda has a, 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 it's a soft limit, but, um, by default, when you set up a Lambda, you actually get 20,000 concurrents. And we've hit that with Twitch. Like Ooh. just people turning on our extensions on Twitch. You know, we, we had two. And I think the first time that we did it, we actually were doing... Um, the first time we did it, it was two very large broadcasters on Twitch uh, went, on, went live at the same time. And we just we nailed that 20,000 concurrent limit. Uh, and in fact, we got a phone call from AWS... Um, trying to legitimize whether or not our traffic was legitimate or if we were, you know, why are we trying to DDoS them? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that that's where uh, kind of our stack uh, pulls together. And then we also have a CDN. So we've gone through a couple of different CDN providers. We currently use a company called StackPath. Um, mm-hmm. They're great because, um, because Twitch is global, we can't just get away with having like one or two pop locations like in the United States. Uh, and so we end up, you know, using StackPath because they have like 50 or 100 different pops that we use all around the world. And then um, also dealing with, you know, one of our biggest expenses that we deal with is bandwidth transfer. So the actual price of moving the data from point A to point B. So um, the actual music and in, in images that we send uh, for just to the player. So again, this is not to the uh, sometimes to the viewers, but we don't send music data to the viewers. But we're running around thirty terabytes a month of just raw wow. music transfer um, every month, and so that, of course, there's no reason to run that through Heroku or anything else. And even even if it was through Heroku, like you're still going to have to be pulling from S3. And so you run into some really weird things that happen. Like AWS, the the standard rate for kind of the lowest tier AWS bandwidth transfer is eight cents a gigabyte. And we're getting ours a lot lower than that, about half that with StackPath. But we still have to pay that eight cents just to get the files from S3 to StackPath. And so if you're not careful, you can actually double bill yourself, Right. So even if, like, say we were serving through Heroku, like serving a file through Heroku, not that you would do this, but um, even if you were, you'd still have to pay the bandwidth coming out of S3 to the internet. And Mm -hmm. that's at eight cents a gig. And so it's very, very easy to accidentally double bill yourself when when you're doing it. So, yeah, that's that's one of the big expenses is just figuring out how to efficiently, you know, get stuff and, you know, from point A to point B and. I think one of our hardest ones is like making sure there's a there's a very vibrant and active live stream community in Australia and getting our data to Australia and into the Australia pop is sometimes a challenge. Um, And so making sure that their experience is really good in Australia 
and, you know, they'll come and complain. And I think we've done pretty good getting that pulled together um, because it also, the more users we have in Australia, the better the service ends up being because everything gets, is hot in the cache um, in that CDM pop. So just making sure that like, making sure all of this is running and copacetic and, you know, that's where I spent a lot of time and making sure uh, tuning was a really big thing about 10 months ago. We had a huge, huge burst in growth. And so we didn't have a lot of caching happening in our Rails app. And so I had to kind of spend a good oh, about a month uh, going through and kind of tuning uh, the application because we were, you know, running into scaling issues just on the API, getting that to scale up and handle the amount of load hitting the Rails API. And so we used uh, Scout, which was fantastic for figuring out where our inefficiencies in our application were. And so going through and tracking those down and fix those. I mean, it seems you are applying one of the concepts I always try to, uh, or the advice I always try to give to people when I'm uh, doing consulting or something. It's like, you need to use the right tool for the job. If you yeah. try to use one only single thing to solve all type of problems, you are going to have like issues. So it seems you have like a very well distributed set of tools and uh, other services to solve the problem you are getting. Another factor for us is cost. So Pretzel is, is completely bootstrapped. It started as a side project for me and has now turned into my full-time job. Oh, nice. And so... Yeah, which is fantastic, but it means that you know we're we're not the type of people we're we're still doing things like making sure that our worker queue is you know doubling up or using multiple processes or multi-threading so that we can get the best bang out of our buck for our dinos like on Heroku. Like those those are the things that we're still doing to cut a few hundred dollars a month off of our bill. And it's important for us to do that because we're still really really trying to um, you know, make this work so <laughs> besides the limiting that that lambda is imposing to you you told me that you are like reaching like the 20k concurrent users uh what other challenges or limitations are you having with your with your current platform uh search is probably one of our biggest issues right now that we're working with and we we just um we're working now with algolia uh to help us with our kind of our search and our indexing and making sure that that and it, it is kind of pricey, but uh, ends up being actually quite good for us for our use case. And so one of the things that's kind of nice about the way we work. So uh, here, here's an example search use case that we're trying to solve. So you have a viewer who wants to request a song on a broadcaster's channel. And so mm -hmm. they're going to pay, you know, a dollar or something to request a song and they need to be able to search through the pretzel catalog and find the track that they're trying to request. So we need to be able to have them type in and search, but we also have to apply. Uh, um, there is a rule that a viewer cannot request a song that a broadcaster has blacklisted, or let's say the broadcaster has certain filters in place like that instrumental only filter that we talked about. And you're not, if you are trying to request a song that has vocals, but they're not allowing vocals right now, it's going to be grayed out that you can't select that song at the moment. So we're talking about search, but we're talking about at that viewer layer, which needs to be able to scale. 
And so making sure that we do those, but then we also have to apply, we get the search results back in, and then we have to apply the search results across, you know, against the filters of the particular broadcaster whose channel is being searched right now. One of the ways we get around this though, is we don't apply that filtering. The results are still coming back as, you know, this track is a track that is matching your search query, but it's being filtered out after the fact. So we still want to render that track as being available, but having it disabled from selection in the interface. And so that's actually one of the tricks that we've been doing is we actually don't need to apply the filter on the actual Algolia search itself. So we still get to use the really high speed Algolia searching, but then we have our API, which then returns another data set of, okay, here is the, you know, based on those search results, here is the data that you need specifically for whether or not these are acceptable selections for the viewer. And so we kind of merge those things together, but yeah, search has been, search has been a, a, a saga to make sure that we do search really well. This is the present. Tell me, tell me more about the future of pretzel. Uh, what are you thinking about, not only on the product side of things, but more specifically about the technical challenges you, you, you are having and the current architecture? Uh, where are you going with the product? One of the big things that we, we just recently made a migration, because we have, we have quite a few front-end clients. So there's a front-end client that is the web app. There is the Electron app that then wraps the web app. So that's that's mostly the same app. Mm-hmm. But then we also have, um, there's Streamlabs OBS, which is broadcast software. So we actually have a Ooh. Streamlabs OBS app. So that's a whole separate client that runs over there. going to ask about that because I'm, yep. I'm now, I, I was streaming in Mac and in Linux, and mm-hmm. I had a lot of issues like dealing with OBS, Yep. and setting things up. And I found the Streamlabs on Windows and I'm now moving everything to, to Windows as a uh, my main OS for streaming. And yeah. th- tell, me, tell me a little bit more about the these different clients and ex- excited yeah, that absolutely. you support Streamlabs so I will be able yeah, to Yeah, so, so Streamlabs has been a fantastic partner for us over the last year. Um, and so, yeah, we provide, uh, uh, they have what they call the Streamlabs App Store, which is, you know, your traditional kind of app store, but our um, our app runs internally to their OBS uh, software. So you can actually install the Pretzel Rock Streamlabs app into OBS or into Streamlabs OBS and then be able to use that directly in it. And so that gives you the music and everything else because ultimately you, can, you could use it there or you can use the standalone Pretzel desktop application and then set the audio inputs from that application into an input in OBS anyways. Mm-hmm, and so yeah. that's kind of how the whole system, it's it, whenever you're broadcasting, that's your typical broadcast setup. And so, so yeah, we have uh, quite a few improvements. One of the things that we're doing right now, uh, also other clients, we have the Twitch extension, which mm-hmm. is a separate extension, um, www.pretzel.rocks, which is our like homepage to get uh, for like account management and all those things. That's a separate application. And so, yeah, we have a whole bunch of applications that are all being used. And so right now, um, you know, because we bootstrapped it and we, we, we didn't really architect them all to be interchangeable or reusable or any of those things. And so for us, uh, there's going to be sometime this year that we basically need to take a bit and pay down some technical debt. 
uh, and make sure that we kind of, you know, we have right now we have three or four different ways that we facilitate search mm-hmm. and we want to standardize them all through one main service. That is our search service that has the flexibility of doing what we need to do um, and go much more microservice kind of architecture, uh, especially because we now know our data access patterns so much better than we did two years ago, right? We know what our usage patterns are. We know where our pain points are. And so one of the things we are probably going to end up doing is moving kind of this play token service. We're going to be moving that into a dynamo table just because, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking over the last two years, we've had, oh man, that table is probably over 60 million records now. Hmm. And so we're doing Heroku Postgres, but we have a table that's, you know, getting, you know, three to six writes per second all day, every day. And then we are, and then reads on that table as well. And so, and on a single table that's got 60 million records in it, and it's going to keep growing. And as we grow, it goes faster. And so there's, there's quite a bit of stuff that we do. Anytime we try to do a join or anything on that table, you know, that can bring the system to a halt. And early on, that was something as I was experiencing these kind of growing pains that I ran into, I would, you know, um, one of the things we have to do is we pay our artists every month. We pay the artists out based off of uh, 70% of the revenue that comes in on the subscriptions goes back out to the rights holders themselves, which is fantastic. But we need to know how much each person gets. And so we need to pull that play token data. And by pulling that play token data, uh, there was a point in the past where um, everything was in the production Heroku Postgres. And I ended up locking up the service and nobody could actually go just because I was doing a, a heavy analytics query oh. against against it. Yeah. So those are some of the pain points that we experienced while we were growing. Um, and so, yeah, now we have a, an analytics follower that, uh, you know, we have a production follower that's a read only that we can do that's completely separate from the system. So we can run an analytics workload without affecting production. So there's, there's a lot of different kind of places to take it. Um, we're kind of right now in a hybrid between, um, some of the clients are using kind of our original API that was handwritten and then others are using GraphQL. So we moved most things to GraphQL. So like the Streamlabs OBS app is all GraphQL. And, uh, we really, really like how that works. And so we need to go back to our other clients and upgrade them to use kind of the new GraphQL endpoint. And so, yeah, so for us, um, the big thing is is moving the really critical paths out of you know uh, Heroku or like putting them on stuff that can actually deal with you know the critical paths that aren't going to fall over when I you know hit it really hard or be able to scale. But I'm a big fan of Rails. I'm a big fan of of Ruby, and I love Active Record. Postgres always makes sense to me. Um, I'm a big fan of relational databases, you know, when they're, when they're specifically being used. And so when I have a data model, that is here is a track, here is an album, here is, you know, some of these other things, you know, yeah, I could go into a NoSQL type style and, and for some of the use cases, I'm going to go to a NoSQL type key value data structure, like play tokens, the perfect use case for that. Yeah. But now we're at the point where it's like, okay, yeah, we have debt, like, being relational data for this thing is detrimental, but it doesn't mean we have to move everything wholesale over, which seems to be a lot what the industry tries to do is they try to, they try to 
see that thing like, well, this isn't working for this use case. So let's go to this other use case, which also has its downside. And so I, we really try to be as pragmatic as possible to in figuring out how exactly. to build. That's what yeah, I call hype-driven hype development, pretty much. Every new <laughs> yeah, technology yeah. and let's move everything because this is going to solve all my problems. Exactly. And, no, and so um, the best. Yeah, one of the one of the big things that we're looking to do um, in terms of features. So right now, I'd say one of our our most lacking features is just the ability to browse through the pretzel catalog, see what's in there, because we have a lot of really good music. And right now, if you want to sample this the pretzel catalog, you just kind of have to open the app and let it run and listen to to music. And people don't have a lot of time to do that. Um, Originally, the, the the desktop app of Pretzel is a very, very small form factor application. And the reason we did that is because we identified that when a broadcaster is broadcasting, they don't want a big, huge window in the way. They want something small out of the way that has the functionality that they need that they can make changes at a glance if they need to. So we we have we call that our streamer mode. But the other use case is when they're not broadcasting, when they actually want to go through and browse the music and select it and all those other things. We call that library mode. And that's actually what the Streamlabs app has. Streamlabs has is only library mode. There isn't a stream mode. And so once we get those all kind of unified, uh, we also want to really, really focus on making our library mode publicly available. So anyone going to Pretzel Rocks's web, uh, the Pretzel Rocks website can see go through the catalog, sample, see what's in there, you know, like things, dislike things, and really engage with the catalog and see what's in there. Because there's a lot of really good stuff in the catalog. And that catalog is just going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And so uh, we want to enable that to happen. And right now, um, our system is not, it is really well situated for that one broadcaster use case. And so we want to extend it so that it serves the greater customer base a lot better. Nice. So future looks bright. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And then I think the one other thing that's just gonna it is crazy is that the music industry uses a, a standard called DDEX, D-D-E-X. And it's an XML-based standard for communicating metadata about music and releases and all of that. And so over the last two weeks, that's what I've been working on is getting our DDEX ingestion pipeline working. And that's been a whole thing in of itself that uh, <laughs> getting that to work. But that that is the necessary part to kind of expand the catalog um, larger and larger and larger is setting up uh, an easier way to get to get music into the catalog, into the system and scaling it up and not being a big headache for rights holders. Um, that's actually something that is kind of a pain point right now is right now, if you are a rights holder and you want to get your music on pretzel, you have to send us a CSV with, you know, all of your lossless audio files and your images for that stuff. And you put that CSV and then you send it over and then we go back and forth and like try to get it imported. Like there's a whole process to do that as opposed to what traditionally happens now with, with um, streaming music platforms is you go to a distributor like TuneCore, CD Baby or DistroKid mm -hmm. uh, and you give them your music and then they distribute it. So Pretzel has grown enough now that the distributors are willing to work with us. And so we are now in the process of integrating directly with those distributors. But um, in any sort of like standards based thing, 
just trying to make sure that the standard is, or you're, you're implementing the standard in the way it's meant to be implemented. And then there's still difference of opinions within the standard. And so that <laughs> leads to some really interesting issues that you run into. So that, that's been my, uh, I don't want to call it a waking nightmare. That's not right. But uh, that's been my headache for the past two weeks is, is getting that all kind of set up. Speaking about nightmares, and I think like to, yeah. to, to wrapping up this episode, what keeps you up at night? Well, literally last night it was DDEX. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest things is just, you know, um, there's, there's so much work to be done here still. Like we have a product and I'm really proud of what we've built. I'm excited to keep building and growing this thing. But man, there is so much more work to be done. Um, you know, there's analytics for the rights holders so they can see where their music's being used. Like that's a huge thing. And then there's, you know, making sure that the experience is, is really good. And one of the big things that we're focusing on this year is how can we enable broadcasters to be able to make more money? And so one of the things that is really unique to how pretzel works, especially on Twitch is remember we talked about that song request thing. Yeah. Well, the way that works is, the broadcaster has it enabled. A viewer pays a dollar to request a song. The broadcaster gets 80 cents and then 14 cents of that goes to the rights holder and then six cents comes to pretzel. And so that's how the split kind of works. And so we have facilitated a system where a person can pay, you know, pay for this, you know, the broadcaster made 80 cents on that request. And so we have broadcasters who are able to actually make, increase their revenue for their channel just by accepting song requests. And so it hasn't really taken off as much as I want to. We have a couple of outliers in our uh, broadcasters who are, there's one broadcaster who made over, over $10,000 in the last year in song requests alone. Wow. Yeah. And so, but how, how can we take his success and replicate it all the way down? And I think that's where catalog familiarity is a big thing and setting those things up. So how do I how do I extend that? How do I enable broadcasters to be able to make more money and make sure that the right holders are being fairly compensated for their stuff being used? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those are the things that keep me up at night. I've got that. I see that vision, that vision of I want because the grand vision of what we want to do with Pretzel, all of this traditional music, like the music that you want to play, we want to make that music available for this use case. And it's really hard to do that. You, you, you know, uh, take, take Drake, for example. There's a really, Drake's an interesting person because he went on stream with Ninja and they had 600,000 concurrence watching them and they went through. The thing that's crazy is Ninja can't actually play Drake's music on stream, even though he knows Drake and talks to Drake and plays video games with Drake. He can't play that music on stream. So God's plan by Drake it has 19 publishers associated with it and nine record labels. So that means you have to get 28 different companies to agree on a licensing rate. You have to agree, like, well, you have to get them to even respond to you. Then you have to get them to agree on a licensing rate. And then you have to, you know, make sure that everyone gets paid. And then if one person gets a higher licensing rate, they all want that same licensing rate. And so it, and it's all done through email and phone calls. It's all a manual process. And so 
it, that's most people don't understand. That's how hard it is to license music. Hmm. And so you could do, you could do it. You could go get that license and play it on your stream. It's just going to cost you 50 or a hundred thousand dollars for the use case to, to do the work just to get the rights to play that song. Yeah, and you're not going to make that money back. And so that's where, you know, that's the goal. The grand vision is to get to the place where it makes sense. And that in the power of influencers and that, there's a lot of power to that multiplication effect, right? Last year we had we had 30 million plays, so 30 million plays, and that's again to the broadcaster. So 30 million plays for the broadcaster, but those plays that were then, uh, and I think it was close to 15 15 million were broadcasted plays. So there's 15 about half of our catalog is just people listening to the player, not actually broadcasting. Um, and so 15 million plays that were broadcast on Twitch and Mixer, that generated 431 million impressions. So that 15 million then turned into 431 million people hearing that music. And we generate every month. One of the things that Pretzel does is we actually generate, we have a link that drives traffic to the artist's Spotify to that song. And we actually generate a quarter of a million clicks every single month, driving traffic to those things. And so we're trying to prove that there's something here. And, and that that's what keeps me up at night. <laughs> that's how do I do that? Ever. How do I prove yeah. this? You know, all the tech stuff we can figure out. We can figure out how to solve. And I mean, that's what we do as tech people, right? Yeah. We we see problems, we figure out how to solve them. DDEX, I'll figure that out. But yeah, what keeps me up at night is absolutely. How do I how do I build this thing? How do I take this to the next level? That's at least for me. So to finalize, do you have any advice for developers that are hitting us that want to uh, build this type of problems dealing with a lot of bandwidth or scaling? Yeah, if people want to target Twitch, which I highly recommend, it's a really great community. Uh, broadcasters are great. The viewers are great. It's very Twitch is very community focused. And so that's where you have people who can make a living playing video games that they love. And that it's fantastic to see that. And so one of the things I would recommend from a tech standpoint is if you're targeting Twitch, it's a lot different now than when it was even a year or two ago. Twitch has made a lot of great strides to be able to enable broadcasters. So um, one of the big things is that with Twitch extensions when they first came out. So Pretzel Pretzel has been in the ba basically the alphas and betas of all of the new products that Twitch has come out. We're pretty well partnered with them when it comes to a lot of this. And so when extensions came out, the, we had to build our own infrastructure, right? We're talking about that Lambda backend and a lot of those things. One of the things that they have is state management. So what song is currently playing on this channel? When the extension loads, we need to pull down that data into the front end so we can show it to the viewer. Well, when extensions first came out, you had to roll that all out yourself. But now Twitch has set up their own kind of, kind of configuration backend that has a persistent data store. It's not huge, but you can put some of that data and you can leverage that. And so Twitch knows that this is a problem, that not everybody is going to come out here and say, have enough success and be like, oh man, you know, I had a huge streamer use this Twitch extension. And then all of a sudden I have a $2,000 AWS bill. And so they, uh, what they do is they have these new services that they've put out that allow you to kind of offload a lot of that effort onto them. 
So read the documentation on their site. Um, they're constantly doing that. They even have a public facing roadmap about what they're adding. So yeah, it, it's a great industry to get into. Um, I, I like the Twitch community very much. And so I, I highly recommend it. Nate, thank you. Thank you very much for this very inspiring and deeply technical story too. Um, I can't wait to get back to my live coding sessions and give it a try. I mean, it will definitely solve a bunch of my problems while uh, picking up the music for, for my streams. And I hope uh, all the people out there that are listening to us, like take a look at Pretzel and this is uh, amazing technology you can use for your streams. And hey, it's running here on Heroku. Nate, thank you, thank you again for this inspiring story and for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was great. I'm looking forward to dropping into your stream. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.